Julie was showing me a, a video we were watching together of a panda bear crossing a street somewhere in China, probably in Sichuan province where Puga County is at. That's where Sichuan province is where they are, the panda bears. Which is kind of a neat thing to see a panda bear crossing a street in the city. I mean, we don't see stuff like that here. And I just shared with her as I was looking at the timestamp of this video, I thought, I don't know what's more amazing. The fact that a panda bear is crossing the street and they videotaped it, or the fact that I'm watching this video that was just two days ago recorded somewhere in China, and I'm sitting here at my breakfast table two days later in North Carolina watching it. That just blows my mind how fast uh, videos can get passed along. And so, uh, so many people can watch the common video. It is, it is a new way of having shared experiences uh, that we've never experienced. It's got to the point where someone will, can just simply ask the question, what color do you think that dress is? And you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who don't, well, <laughs> you're not connected to some of the internet if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about that, but I, I just share a little statement like that without any kind of preamble, and, and many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It isn't amazing how information can get past and jump all kinds of cultural language barriers to go from China being recorded a day ago to the next day being seen in a breakfast table uh, in North Carolina. And so when we look at this and how information spreads, when we consider there was no internet in the book of Acts, it just shows all the more how powerful God is at spreading His life-giving Word so that within just a generation and just a couple of decades, really, You've got a group in Galilee and Jerusalem of really nobodies that don't really have any power. Um, they don't have any political power, certainly. Not much wealth. But yet, in just a couple of decades, the message that they have of Jesus Christ and the gospel of what God is doing takes over the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire we have known in history. In just a couple of decades. It is an absolute evidence of God's working hand and that it is still being spread around today. Very powerfully so. And it crosses these cultural barriers where normally information doesn't pass. No one is information passed, but life is changed. Life is changed through this gospel jumping over cultural barriers, socioeconomic barriers, language barriers, uh, to the point where you and I are sitting here uh, thousands and thousands of miles away from the origin of this gospel message, separated by a couple thousand years, but yet here we are studying the same stories that the disciples were reading about studied. When we read about the message that Peter gives to Cornelius, he, we are we're going to be familiar. In fact, we don't even have to know what Peter said. We, uh, it doesn't have to be written for us. We already know what Peter said because we're familiar with the stories of it. And so uh, much of the book of Acts is telling this story of how God is moving 
and has moved with the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And you need to understand, you reside in the uttermost parts of the earth. And so for us to say we should not go to the uttermost parts of the earth is a, just a, a, a great tragedy because we are the uttermost parts of the earth according to Jesus in that day. And for us to not do the same is just a hypocrisy of one of the worst sorts to our king. Uh, and so this is the story of that, which, by the way, you might have seen the trailer for um, the TV series that's coming out soon that is about Acts. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to, to seeing that. I don't expect it to get it right, um, but I'm just kind of curious to see uh, what they'll say. And I hope you uh, join with me as we watch that, and uh, I'm sure we'll give our critiques. Uh, but it'd be just a, another way to uh, reinforce what we're reading about in, in the book of Acts. Uh, and so uh, this is uh, the, the passage of how, it, in fact, this is such an important passage that the scripture gives two chapters dedicated to the accounting of how this message goes from Peter to Cornelius, a centurion, a Italian man, how it jumps the, the, the divide between Jew to Gentile. This is not the first time. We already seen the Ethiopian eunuch had uh, received the gospel and has taken it down to Ethiopia. Uh, but this is unique in that it is among the Jews. Uh, it is right there with the Jews working alongside the Greeks. And therefore, uh, there's a lot of prejudices culturally, uh, religiously, that must be divided. And God's going to do it right here with Peter and Cornelius. And this is a, a story that we all need to be thankful for. Because at one point, we can probably trace our own faith back to this moment. Isn't that pretty neat? If we could do that? Talk about ancestry work. That would be fascinating uh, with that, Jeff. Uh, and so uh, let's read Acts chapter 10. Uh, and in honor of this being God's word, let's stand as we read this together. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, giving alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. 
This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house, and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guest. The next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called, called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And he talked with them. He went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. Behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judah beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on a third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them, speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who had received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. You may be seated. I love the details given in the story. It helps us uh, to see it, uh, to uh, feel it, to use it in our imagination. We know exactly the times of the day uh, when they're praying, that, that there is a, a, a 3 p.m. Uh, r- 
<laughs> rendezvous with Cornelius and the angel. And, and at the same time, uh, at noon the next day, Peter is praying and, and the messengers come. And, and so we can kind of see this. We can even smell it. Peter is staying at Simon the Tanner's house, which does not smell good. Okay? Uh, that's just the, the house he lives in, which is interesting because it is somewhat of a forbidden place uh, for good Jews to be in. But nonetheless, Peter was there, uh, staying there uh, on the seaside where both Caesarea is about 32 miles north of Joppa. Uh, and so when these guys made the walk down, it took a little while uh, to get down to Joppa, which is in modern day Tel Aviv. Uh, and so uh, we, can, we can see this, we can envision this. Uh, and there's some lessons that we want to learn. And, and like I said, this is going to be not only two chapters worth, this is going to be two Sundays worth of us looking at this. Next week we're going to look at the, the specific cultural barriers uh, that God was crossing and how he wants to cross those today. And today we're going to look at uh, specifically how God uh, is working in the salvation of this Gentile. What is his role? And this is something we see as he bursts discipleship communities. This is a prayer. I hope it is a prayer for you that we will see disciple communities birth in Nightdale and East Raleigh. And so we need to know how does God work and, and what has he done then? What will he do now? So the first lesson as we look at this is something I want you to understand. Because I know in a group like this, this is contrary to what some of us think. And here's the first lesson. God demands more than the devout life. God demands more than the devout life. The example here is Cornelius. What is his life like? How is he described? You notice what it said there in verse 2? He's a devout man. He feared God. Not only did he fear God, his whole household feared God. It's interesting that as a centurion, he had control over about 100 men. And we find that one of his men is also a devout man, the messenger he sends. And so it's, it's something that seems to be contagious around Cornelius. And then he feared God. He had a reverence for God. He, he had a, you know, fear is not just a reverence, but it's also an honest fear. God is God and I am not. And I want to always remember that. He gave alms generously to the poor, and he prayed continually to God. Now, according to the uh, pillars of Islam, he would be a pretty good Muslim. Part of their pillars is they give alms to the poor, and they pray at certain times a day, every day. And there is one God, and they fear him. And so he meets a lot of the, the criteria for what a Muslim, there was no such thing back then, you understand that, right? Uh, but a lot of what Muslims see, in fact, let me just say this. He would make a good Baptist. He tithes. He gives alms to the poor. All right, let's get this guy on our church roll. He is going to give to the church. He is going to give alms to the poor. He is going to be faithful. He is a devout man. All right. Now, as we read this, he hasn't had exposure to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We learn from Peter that he was aware of Jesus. Peter, now, you know what happened in Judea that started with Galilee. You heard about Jesus. You heard about what happened there. We don't know the connection, but he, he could have been somewhat militarily connected to the crucifixion. We, we don't know that. And so here, this is, this guy knows about Jesus. 
He's a very good man, a devout man. I would say that he even loves God. He's doing well. But it's interesting that as the angel is talking to him, he acknowledges that. He says, he says, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. God has noticed this man's prayer. Apart from Jesus Christ, these prayers are going up as worship to God. This is his private life, and this is his public life, and everyone seems to know about him. And so the angel is saying, okay, you know these things. The answer isn't just keep praying. The answer is just stay devout. No, what the angel is saying to him is, you must be converted. You're good, but you're not yet converted. I don't know how many times I hear from people who claim the name of Christ. You know, I think you just got to be good. I, you know, there's people all over this world. You just be good. You just do what you know is best. Honor God. Love God. Pray. Give to the poor. Love people. Just love God and love people. We, and that is exactly what Jesus told us to do. But listen, without Jesus Christ, it is not a conversion. And Jesus is not satisfied with devout people. He is looking for conversion. And so there are good people all over this world. But God is looking for them not to be good, but to be trusting in Jesus. Listen, what does this tell us? If Cornelius had died at this point, where would he be? Well, Consider what the scripture has to say. He says, verse 43, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You're a devout man, Cornelius, but you need to have your sins forgiven. And that only happens through the name of Jesus Christ. I think that one of the things that we tend to go into is that We hear God speaking to us, and he's asking us to obey, but we like to mask our disobedience with sacrifice. You know what Scripture has to say, right? To obey is better than sacrifice. We like to mask our disobedience, rebellious heart, with religion, with church attendance, with church functions, with giving to the poor. Sometimes we want to mask our disobedience with fasting even, because who is going to criticize someone fasting here in America, right? We don't do that type of uncomfortable thing. So if you're doing that, man, you must be right with God. And, and we can mask it, our disobedience, by our measures of being devout. Listen, there is no substitute to obeying Jesus Christ. When he says to us, you must repent, it is exactly that. You must ask for forgiveness. And so I want us to understand that apart from God's gospel going out, there will be devout people who do not enter the kingdom of heaven unless they have the saving name of Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to tell you, that is not politically acceptable that is not religiously acceptable for people to say that and it just baffles me because it's all throughout scripture 
(laughs) You must be converted by Jesus Christ for us to enter in God's kingdom. You can tell me all measure of good things. You can tell it to God. But it still remains. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you trusted in Him for forgiveness of sin? And I can imagine any number of people saying, well, you know, really, I don't have to do that. I know a lot of people who ask Jesus into their heart. They know Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, but they live miserable lives. I live better than them. I'm not a hypocrite like them. I, I got my own moral code. Listen, you can have your own moral code, but it still remains. Have you known Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Cornelius had a pretty good moral code. But the message still went forth. You must be converted. I'm going to do it. God is going to do the conversion. So how does it happen? How is this going to work? Well, God does the preparing. He does the sending. And he does the empowering for his conversion. His heart's already been prepared. We're seeing this in, in the Ethiopian eunuch story. God, Listen, when God sends you out to share the word of God with someone, trust and believe that God is preparing their heart. You don't have to hear them say it. Just believe that God is speaking to them. He wants to call his people to himself. And so when he compels you to share with someone, then there is a corresponding inner preparation that is happening at the same time you outwardly talk to them. Believe that. This is how we've seen God's movement works. And I'm going to tell you, that means so much to me and encouraging me to realize I'm not in this on my own. God is doing this work. And so he is calling him, his people from everywhere to do this, to uh, know Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And so as we read, we're going to find something else here. This is the same lesson we've learned before and before and before because it is the theme in the book of Acts. It's simply this, God delights in using his disciple to give light. God just delights in using his disciples to give light. Now, this is a a similar story to Paul or Saul. You remember God also spoke to Saul with a vision uh, of himself. And he said, I'm going to prepare you, but then I'm going to send Ananias to come. Now, how hard would it have been for the angel to continue the message uh, to Cornelius? I mean, didn't the angel know the gospel? You would think the angel knew the gospel. How, how would you rather be saved? Would you rather have an angel share the gospel with you? Or your neighbor? <laughs> you know? But here, the angel doesn't share the gospel. He just says, hey, let me show you where you can go. You just send for a man named Simon. He's in Simon the Tanner's house up down in Joppa, he'll tell you the rest of the story. Listen, angel, the word angel means messenger. If you ever wonder, what is the Greek word for messenger? But God has not granted to these angelic, 
powerful beings that anytime you see appearance you have a, a reaction like centurion a man of war who who is afraid when he sees an angel he has not granted the message of the gospel to the angels the most beautiful beings he has given it to you you have a message that angels long they long to look into and share with others, but God has stayed their mouth. Angel, you don't get to share this. Peter, you do. Why? Because Peter knows what it's like to have Jesus say to them, your sins are forgiven. Peter knows what it's like to have sin and shame in his life, and therefore he knows the beauty of forgiveness. Listen, this message is not just proclaimed with your mouth, it's lived with your life. An angel can't do that. You've got something angels can't do. God just delights in using his disciples to share life. He is constantly, in the book of Acts, setting up opportunity after opportunity. God still does that. He still wants to do it. And the question that remains is, is there a disciple that will share? Is there a Simon in the house? No. You might be like Simon, though. We might need a little work in this. Listen, I hear people talk about praying about going on mission trips. And it's good. We need to pray and ask for the leading and directing of the Lord. But there's a part of me that says, you know, are you looking to see if God wants you to go? And share the gospel with people? You don't need to look for that. No more than you need to pray about asking God whether you should commit adultery or not. Right? You don't have to pray about what God has already written down for you. <laughs> right? Hasn't Jesus said numerous times, You are my witnesses. Go. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them all the things I've taught you, teach them to obey all the things I've taught you. I'm with you in this. That's one of the last things he said to us. That's one of the first things in Acts 1.8. That's one of the themes throughout the Gospels, right? So it kind of fails to, for me to understand, why do I need to pray about what Jesus has already told me to do? No more than I need to pray about whether I should commit adultery or not. And listen, just like it's a sin to commit adultery, it is a sin to disobey the king. He has commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. Right? Am I bringing something new to you? This is something that's right here in the scripture. And the, and the question I really want to ask is, do we believe that? If we believe it, and we can think of 10,000 reasons why we should not go. Simon could think of quite a few here. 
But all that matters is, did God tell us to do it? If he told us to do it, let him work out the details of all our objections. And therefore, we can glorify God in that. This is is something for us to consider in this. We are to share, we're to go, we're to sin, we're to pray that this would happen. And sometimes it may be the fact that there is no discipleship community being birthed in our area can be contributed not to the fact that God doesn't want to happen, but maybe it's because we're not praying, we're not going, we're not sending, we're not sharing, we're not saying. Interesting, when we look at, when did the Holy Spirit come? When, when did the conversion happen in Cornelius' life? From what we know theologically, conversion happens when the Spirit of God comes into our life and fills us with His presence. Right? Anyone that does not have the Spirit of God is not a child of His. When did that happen in the story? In Acts chapter 10, notice verse 44. While Peter was still, was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, saying, what things? Well, verse 37 to verse 43, the counting what Jesus has done, the gospel. And I just can't help but notice what was the last thing he said. He had given all the details of what Jesus has done, but then he said, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. And it's like the Holy Spirit was just saying, that's it. That's what I was waiting to hear. They've, they know enough. They know enough, and at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes in as he was saying these things. Forgiveness of sin, believing on him through the name of Jesus Christ. Does a soul know they need forgiveness of sin? Do they know that forgiveness comes through trusting, belief in the name of Jesus Christ? Friends, that's part of what the gospel is, is the essential essence of the gospel. So when we talk about those disciples who delight or who God delights in using the disciples to give light, you must know the Scriptures. And I'm not asking you to know all of the Scriptures. You must know enough of the Scriptures to be able to share what Jesus has done for you. How do you explain the change that's happening in your life? And it goes back to what Peter just said. You heard these things, Cornelius. But let me tell you, we saw Jesus rose again from the dead, and He died for your sins. And if you would believe for the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ at that moment. Listen, I had one of my pastors used to say, I got uh, saved, converted between the bend of the knee and the sawdust. What that meant was that the moment your heart turned, say, "I, I trust in Jesus. I didn't even have to verbalize all what we call the sinner's prayer. Just when my heart turned in trust in Jesus Christ, God knew my heart even before I could express it and and articulate it. That's when conversion happens. Now, one last lesson that we learn for today, um, Lord willing, there'll be more lessons from this, is that we see the wideness of God's desire for all nations. He does not discriminate in giving life. Therefore, his disciples will not discriminate 
and giving life. God's desires for all nations to come to know him. He does not show partiality and discriminating in his providing of life. Therefore, his disciples will not discriminate in giving life. Now, Cornelius was a good Jew. And so you have this this vision that's happening. I can't get past the fact that all these things of God's messages happening are as people are praying. Cornelius is a prayer consistently, continually. Peter is praying. He's praying at noontime. Six-hour prayer. Something about that, guys. We've got to be people of prayer. And he's hungry. And he wants something to eat. And he fell into a trance. Heaven's open. And something like a great sheet descended, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. All kinds of animals, reptiles, and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, this goes back to um, Deuteronomy, or Deuteronomy chapter 11, when God is giving very specific details about how his people will be separate from the countries around. And, and in Deuteronomy chapter 11, he is giving this, these are the things you don't eat. And in the end he says, be holy, for I am holy. It is a very clear, distinct way of being removed from the people around them. It was an issue of holiness for Peter. And yet God comes in and does this to him. What's going on here? Has God contradicted himself? Has God said, okay, don't eat then. Now now you can eat. You remember the issue is holiness. Okay? That was all these external standards that you see in the Old Testament was about presenting holiness. Holiness can only come from the heart. Jesus said later on, it's not what you eat that defiles a man, but what comes out of that man that defiles him. It is an issue of the heart. So these things externally pointing to a heart change. Jesus accomplished the heart change. And so with the heart change of God declaring you innocent, declaring you right, the external uh, shadows were no longer needed because holiness was birthed through faith in Jesus Christ, righteousness that came forth. And then the words, the actions, the eating would exhibit what God has already done in our life. So here, this is kind of like what the scripture says of these are new wineskins. That was the old wineskin, Peter. This is a new wineskin. Let me teach you something here. If I've declared it clean, do not go against me. So what does that mean to us? When we see God at work, be careful, be careful about criticizing and calling it unclean. When we see God at work, when we see souls 
coming, being discipled, reproduced, making disciples, because it doesn't quite fit our parameters, we have to be very careful here about what we call unclean. And this is part of the lesson that Peter is getting. And so, you know, he's thinking about this. It happens to him three times. That seems to be a theme with Peter, doesn't it? Betrayed Jesus three times. Jesus asked him if he loved him three times. And it's almost a, and a continuation. All right, you love me? You remember, remember what Jesus said? If you love me, feed my sheep. Now, does feeding my sheep mean that Peter just kind of hangs out with just the disciples from that point on? No. Jesus, I've got sheep that are not of this fold yet. You see, feeding the sheep isn't just the people in the church or the people who know Jesus as the Lord and Savior. It's the people yet, the yet to declare Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so Peter's job is to go out feeding the sheep, but here he's coming up this little, this hoop, this, this barrier that he's got. He says, you know, I, I will go this far, Jesus. I will do this, but I'm just not comfortable with going to the Gentiles. And so God is re teaching that lesson feed my sheep feed my sheep feed my sheep don't let anyone call unclean that which i've called clean don't be recognized as a common this is my hand at work and now peter is just kind of wondering about this like well you know what am i supposed to you know thank you god i kind of wanted some barbecue i'm smelling it from the rooftop right now is that the lesson here evidently not Uh, evidently not he didn't dive into the bacon yet. Um, he's wondering about this. And then that's when the messengers are coming. And he starts connecting the dots as he says, okay, let me just go. We'll just see what comes out of this. If this looks like God's hand might be in this. And then, and then the centurion Cornelius starts telling the story, recounting. He's like, I can't deny what God is doing. And he starts realizing, okay, this isn't about me eating bacon. This is about me hanging out with some people and telling them that I would never, he admitted, he said, I would not normally hang out with you guys. Good Jews did not do that. See see that in verse 28? It's unlawful. We don't do this. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And so... God's working in his heart so that there is no longer any partiality. Now, I would say that what God has begun in Peter's life, he'll need the church to help him maintain that in his life. Why do I say that? Well, because in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says he's coming and he's hanging out and he's realizing that Peter who used to hang out with the Gentiles, when circumcised people come around, he starts not eating with them. So he eats with the circumcised. What does that tell me? There can be lessons in our life that God is teaching that we fall away from. Peter did. Even if you got a vision from God, even if you got a vision from God, you can still fall away from that. And he needed Paul, in his life, to confront him publicly, rebuked him publicly, because what he did was very publicly. Listen, I got a a message from someone, we were just gently inquiring them, like, hey, 
where you're at in your life. We hope that you're in a church and, and someone just responded saying, it's none of your business. Listen, listen, it is your business. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your brother and your sister is your business. We need one another to rebuke us, to correct us, to expose our own tendency. We, if, <laughs> if you say you don't need that, then you must be better than Peter. Peter walked with Jesus, had a vision, and he still walked away. And he needed Paul to rebuke him. Okay? This is where the church comes in that helps people like Peter. Listen, sometimes in our church, we may reach people that you don't feel comfortable with. Because we have some partiality. That's, we're born that way. You understand that? We're not just an, an extra degree of evil. That, that's just mankind. We have our partial treatment. We're, we're that way. It takes God's work in our heart to change us, have a different perspective. And he'll do that. And he'll use the church to do that. So when we see churches reaching people, a various race, socioeconomic, they look different, they smell funny, all right, they have weird stuff going on with their hair and skin, and it's okay. It's okay. It is our job to cross the cultural divides because that's where God's heart is. That's where God's heart is. He is crossing the cultural divides. Doing it time after time after time. And if you will not be used by God, God will find someone else that will be used by Him. So, I was talking with someone this past week. Just blazingly shared, well, he's a purist. Like, what do you mean? I'm racially a purist. Oh, (laughs) And in the same conversation, we're talking about following Christ. I said, you need to understand, that is not where the heart of Christ is. You may start there, but God's going to be working in your life to take you somewhere else. I hope you're prepared for that. So you really know what a purist is. It has nothing to do with your skin tone has everything to do with what God is doing in your heart and your life. God is still doing this type of stuff. He's still preparing people. I shared with you guys before, Jeremy Randolph has shared with you before, the story of, um, um, I forgot his name right, Solomon. They call him Solomon. He waited 20 years. He had had some exposure to the gospel, but not nearly enough. 20 years of praying, asking God, would you send someone to tell me more about Jesus? And one of those dirt roads outside of Sichang and Puga County, God sent Chris Britt. Any of you remember Chris Britt? Used to be here before they moved. Jeremy Randolph, a couple of others. And God coincided their path of walking with this man who was sitting there waiting. And that man had the Knowledge of God to say, you're not here for those people up the road. You're here for me. Come to my house. 
tell me about this message of Jesus. And that is where we started beginning to see the movement of God among Nosu people that have yet really to make its way penetrate into Puga County, which is why we're praying for that. Which, by the way, tonight, 5.30, we have an information interest meeting for anyone going, wanting to go to Puga County. We're looking at August 14th, October 14th, uh, at the latter half of those two, two months. Uh, so if you're interested, uh, you can come tonight. We'll talk about that more. What, what's the point of that? That when that happened, it was an invitation by God, revealing to us God's at work. And he delights to use his messengers. He could have sent an angel, but an angel couldn't do what Chris Britt could do. Or Jeremy Randolph. Or Andy. An angel can't do what you could do. Share the life-giving message with someone around. Here's how I want to close our time. I want us to close in a prayer. We're going to have our our Annie Armstrong um, offering in gathering here at this invitation. But I want us to be doing this with a prayer. And I want us to pray, God, first, God, give me opportunity. Pray every day. God, give me an opportunity for me to meet your prepared people. And I'm just going to trust that they're prepared. Will you pray that? And the second thing I'd ask you to pray, God, if there is within my heart an attitude that restrains the gospel movement, I recognize it as treason against God. Change my heart to reflect your heart. Would you pray that? If you don't, someone else will and God will use them. And they'll get more of Jesus for it in their life. Let's pray.